Students, before we get started, a quick uh, reminder, college retreat is coming up this next weekend. When I was a student, I only skipped one retreat, and I regretted skipping that one retreat. I decided I had too much homework, so I stayed home, and then I didn't do my homework anyway. I waited until Sunday night, so just go on the retreat, right? For me, these times were uh, really significant spiritually, as well as building some great Christian friendships. Uh, This semester, we've got Timothy Atik, who's one of Uh, One of us, he's one of our former students, he's uh, up in Waco now, he teaches at Vertical, which is kind of like a breakaway for uh, Baylor students, and he's a great communicator. So let me encourage you to go. If money is the issue, please call the office, talk to the college ministry. I know we've got scholarships available for that, so don't miss it. Great opportunity. All right, if you would, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to wrap up our Go Missions Week this Sunday, and we'll be back in 1 Corinthians next week. Well, last Sunday I had uh, the Sunday off, and so I kind of wandered the hallways, and I went into children's Sunday school, and then I went and visited the young families class, and I had kind of an interesting experience. I went to the young families class, and Mike Nugent was introducing a study of Ecclesiastes, which, you know, the message is, life is hopeless. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Life is empty. Life is futile. Amen. You know, I mean, obviously there's more to the message than that, but that's kind of the gist of Ecclesiastes. It's life under the sun, that is life on this earth, is filled with futility. What's the point? What are you going to do with that? And then I came in here and Chris McGuffey, who's our outreach pastor, was saying, man, make an impact. You can have a significant impact. Engage the campus, the community, and the world with the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. Get out there and do it. And I thought which is it? (laughs) Life is futile or we can make a significant investment. It's really both, isn't it? But there are things that we can do, we should do, needs that we can meet, that we should meet, but we certainly can't meet all needs. Or in the language of Ecclesiastes, we can't grasp the wind. We can't stop the wind from blowing. It's a broken and fallen world. There are things that we can and should do, but we can't stop the wind. We can certainly wear ourselves out trying, though, can't we? And I've discovered for a lot of Christians, that's kind of one of the barriers for actually stepping out in faith and engaging in the needs around us, is that the needs are just so overwhelming at times. If you turn on the news, it's, it's one crisis after another, right? There's racial tension in Ferguson, and it just won't seem to go away. Just a symptom. It keeps getting stirred up. And there's Ebola in West Africa. Oh, wait, it's in Dallas, Texas too, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, and ISIS is marching across Iraq and into Syria. Oh, but they're also recruiting terrorists in the United States. And we haven't even mentioned the crises that seem to erupt within our own families. It's overwhelming. What are we to do? I've noticed as believers uh, that sometimes we respond in one of two ways. Some folks seem to just take it all on, right? They're always dialed into the news and the latest thing, and they're always worried about what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with the United States and what's wrong with the economy, what's wrong in Texas, what's wrong in the community and the family, and there's just so much care and concern because they feel responsible for everything and they simply can't live with any sense of joy and peace. And others say, you know, I can't solve poverty So forget it. I'll just tune it all out. And what I'll focus on is my life, right? My family, my career, 
My hobbies, my distraction, my to-do list, my to-do list. I can't even manage that. You know, I, I can't solve the problem of Ebola. I can't cure that, but I can cut my lawn, so I'm out. <laughs> I'll, just go, I'll just go deal with what I can deal with. I don't think that's appropriate either. Not appropriate to try and take it all on, because we can't. It's simply not possible. Nor to tune it all out. So how should we respond as believers in Jesus Christ? Uh, I would say this. Two responses. Serve and then stop. There are things that, as believers, that we can do. There are needs, practically, tangibly, that we can meet and we should engage. But then we should stop. And we should step back and worship God and remember that the needs may be limitless, but God is unlimited and He is in control. And someday He will send His Son, Jesus Christ, again to this earth and He will deal with all of the needs. And so we stop and we worship and we're refreshed in the Lord so we have strength to go out and serve again. So we serve and then we stop. I want you to read with me in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 13. Jesus' response. It says, Now when Jesus heard about John, that is John the Baptist, his cousin that he had grown up with, John had been beheaded by Herod. Been killed. When Jesus heard about his Cousin John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. But when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. Jesus was tuned in to the needs around him. After an incredibly physically and spiritually draining time of ministering to people's needs and then discovering that his cousin had been assassinated. Jesus was worn out. And he began to pull away, but as he pulled away, people followed. And as he looked upon those who were following, he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd and they were burdened and downcast and they had needs. And it says Jesus felt compassion for them. And word for compassion in both Greek and Hebrew refers to your, your guts. He felt it. He ached here. The one who had created the universe and had created these creatures in his image, he ached for the fact that they had genuine needs. And my challenge to you this morning is simply this. Are you willing to feel it? Are you willing to engage and, and really Tune in to those needs that are around you. Because, you know, you can fill your life with all kinds of things that distract you from all these needs around you. And just get into your own stuff. But God calls you to be like himself. And God loves his creatures. God looks down upon us with our physical needs and our emotional needs, our relational needs, our spiritual needs, and God feels it. So much so that God was willing to send his son to enter into our pain and frustration and needs and suffer with us and for us. And God says, I want you to be like me. Are you willing? You know, and if you say this morning, mm, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it gets messy when you really get into people's lives. I know there are times when I see needs and I just want to push back and there's nothing in my heart that wants to feel what others are feeling. Maybe you're feeling that this morning. You know, it's great just to, to be honest with the Lord. Maybe this morning the step for you is to say, God, just make me willing. Just make me willing to, to see those needs and to tune into those needs. Maybe that is the starting point. And from there, God can move you to genuinely engage in the needs around you that you can meet. 
Now, what should that look like? I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at a, a well-known parable from Luke's Gospel. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to begin reading in verse 25. It says, The lawyer stood up and he put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, uh, what you should notice here, first of all, is that the man is an expert in the law. And he's not asking a genuine question to Jesus. He's not saying, oh, Jesus, you're such a great rabbi. Let me sit at your feet and learn from you. No, he's testing Jesus. He's kind of manning up. He's bowing up. He's saying, well, let's see what a great teacher he is. If he's as good as I am. Does he know the law as well as I do? So he puts Jesus to the test. And this is pretty typical in rabbinical debate. He starts with a big question expecting to move it down to a very specific answer. And the big question is this, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, Jesus said to him, uh, let me answer your question by asking you a question. I love it. Jesus doesn't go directly at it. He said, well, uh, what do you think? What's written in the law? How does it read to you? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? Now, Jesus is not telling the man that if he loves the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his neighbor is himself, that he can earn eternal life. Because no one can in fact do that. I suppose theoretically if you did that, and never sinned in the process, you wouldn't need a savior. But that's not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus frequently does with these parables is he exposes people's sin. And what he's going to do is he's going to expose this man's self-righteousness. Okay, we see it in that last verse there. The man wishing to justify himself, to prove that he had, in fact, achieved this level of righteousness, throws it back to Jesus. Well, who exactly is my neighbor? Okay, what Jesus is going to do with the parable is going to expose the fact that this man's self-righteousness is in fact unrighteousness and he doesn't love his neighbor as himself. He doesn't love his neighbor at all. And that's what Jesus will do with the parable. Verse 30, Jesus replied and he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. And Jesus says literally, uh, a certain man, that is any man, doesn't matter who the man is. Doesn't matter if he's old or young. Doesn't matter if he's a Jew or a Gentile. Jesus is saying, any man. What I'm going to tell you in this principle applies no matter who is lying there, beaten and bloody. As Seneca once said, wherever there is a human being, there is an opportunity for kindness. So Jesus is going to create a principle through this parable. Wherever there's a human being, there's an opportunity for kindness. And his people who listened to this parable could immediately relate to what was happening because they knew this pathway it was from Jerusalem, which was up on the central ridge route that ran north and south, and this pathway ran from the west to the east. It was steep and it was narrow. It was 21 miles long, all the way down from Jerusalem, from up from Jerusalem down to Jericho, that was one of the lowest places on the planet. 21 miles, a 3,600-foot drop. In many places, it was very narrow. Cliffs on either side, narrow pathway. It was a favorite place for bandits to stop people. So they understood the setting. 
Some of them have probably traveled that way themselves. They knew that it was dangerous, and they knew that people were beaten up frequently. They knew that it was unwise to travel by themselves. So here's a man. He is alone. He is by himself. He's vulnerable. It's, it's like going into the third ward in Houston at 1 a.m. and announcing, here I am. I'm, I'm vulnerable. I'm alone. Cash here. Turn on the sign, right? Here you go. That, they get it. They get the setting. There's a man who's traveled by himself down a dangerous pathway. He's been waylaid by bandits. He's beaten. He's bloody. He's almost dead. Who's going to help him? Verse 31, and by chance, a priest was going down that road. Yay, a priest, right? Yay, a priest. Here we go. He's a hero. The lawyer could relate to this man, another spiritual leader. Here comes a priest to the rescue, but he doesn't rescue the man, does he? A priest happened to be going down along that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Well, okay, but then there's a Levite. A Levite also, all right, another hero, a spiritual leader. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. A narrow pathway, the man is laying next to the road. There's no way that he could miss him. He saw him and he ignored him. The priest ignored him. The Levite ignored him. Why? Why did they pass by and not stop? Jesus doesn't tell us. Maybe they didn't know if he was dead and they didn't want to be ritually defiled. Maybe they didn't want the inconvenience. Maybe they were afraid because sometimes robbers would put one of their own as a decoy and smear some blood on him and he could jump up and attack. He's afraid for his life. We don't know. Jesus doesn't care. The fact is he simply didn't stop. The Levite didn't stop. The priest didn't stop. They felt nothing for the man who was dying. When I was in seminary uh, in Dallas, I lived in a pretty dangerous neighborhood for about two years. Uh, A lot of poor people, a lot of crime all around me. My parents hated the fact that I was living there, but uh, the rent was cheap. It was, it was great rent, actually. I, uh, I had a lady in my church in North Dallas who owned a home that was just like a half a block outside the historical district. So it was this cool old house that had, had a huge rooms. Like my room was half the size of the stage. It was just enormous, real high ceilings, but people kept breaking into it. And so she said, if you will live there, then maybe people won't break into my house as much. And all you have to do is just pay $50 a month rent. It's like, yes. 50 bucks a month. Protect me from death, Jesus. 50 bucks a month. Right? And she said, and I'll pay all utilities. So, I, you know, I was poor. I thought, this is, this is awesome. What a great deal. Well, you know, I got exposed to a different culture living down there. Remember, there's one particular guy who he would get drunk uh, just about every night, and he would fall asleep under my window. And he would snore so loud that I couldn't sleep. So, you know, 3 a.m. all of a sudden, I just hear this loud snoring under my window. I'd have to get up, rouse him up, wake him up enough to haul him to another window, right? <laughs> let's let someone else deal with that. It was constant. There's poverty, there was crime everywhere. I remember one particular day I was leaving my house and I had an assignment due. I was preparing a sermon on, of all things, Good Samaritan for preaching class. I had to prepare a manuscript and I was about to have to deliver the, the, the sermon to class and I didn't have my notes done and, and I was in a big hurry. It was, you know, I was really under a lot of pressure so I was rushing out of my house to get to the library, finish the assignment. So I'm rushing out of the house. The street person stops me and he says, can you give me something to eat? Can you give me any food? And I literally, the thought ran through my mind. I didn't say it, but it ran through my mind. Hey man, I, I'm in a hurry. I'm preparing a sermon on the Good Samaritan. (laughs) I didn't say it to him, but I did. I thought it. 
I thought it. Then, of course, I felt convicted. I shared Jesus with him. He trusted Christ. I discipled him, and now he's a missionary. That'd be a great ending to the story, but that's, it didn't happen like that. I just said, I, I got no time, man. I didn't tell him about the sermon I was working on. I said, I got no time. I got in my car, and I drove to the seminary, and I thought as I got there, I thought, you know, I wonder if, I wonder if the prof, if I told the prof, hey, the assignment's not done because I was helping out a street person, would I get any grace from the prof? And I thought, no, you know, because the seminary's law. So I chose law and the grade over grace. And I will say, I did feel, I did feel really convicted. I saw the, I saw the disconnect there from preaching a sermon about the good Samaritan to actually caring about this man. And I will say one of the the great benefits of living in that community for a couple of years was it taught me to see people, right? Taught me to stop and to look him in the eye. Even if I didn't have any money in my pocket, there's maybe nothing I could do, but I'd stop. I'd look him in the eye and I'd engage him. I'd remember this is, this is one of God's creatures made in the image of God. God loves this person. Got in lots of really interesting conversations finding out how did this person get to this place? It didn't happen overnight. And it taught me to feel compassion because I, I was... I was seeing these people, and I was learning some of their names. I was knowing them. I was feeling it enough that it could move me to do something about it. Read with me verse 33. But then a Samaritan showed up. When they hear Samaritan, they think, boo hiss. (laughs) Boo hiss. Samaritans are the bad guys. Remember, those are the folks who were from the northern part of Israel. Jews that were left by the Assyrians. They took many Jews away. They left some Jews behind. And then they imported people from all over the Assyrian Empire. And they intermarried with the Jewish people. And they came up with this mixture of a race that practiced a form of Judaism. But it was a perverted form of Judaism. They didn't accept all of the Old Testament. They didn't worship in Jerusalem. They worshiped in Gerizim. And you want to talk about racial hatred. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Samaritan shows up in the story and everybody goes, boo, bad. But as in almost all of Jesus' parables, there's going to be a twist. Samaritan turns out to be the hero. A Samaritan who was on a journey, he came upon the man. And when he saw him, he felt it. He felt compassion. And he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. See, the the Samaritan knew he couldn't fix violence in the world, right? He couldn't even fix violence along that roadway, but he could serve this man. And so he stopped. He stopped. And he got his hands really, really messy and dirty, right? He bandaged the man's wounds. He cleaned them and he bandaged them. He used his wine. He used his oil. He used his, his rags, his cloth, clothing to wrap the man. He put the man on his donkey, which means he started walking, not riding. He walked the rest of the way. And it's a long, tough journey by foot. 
And then he stopped and he put the man into an inn with him and he spent the night with the man all night long. He cared for the man. And if it's a dying man, he was up all night long caring for the man's needs. In the morning he got up and he couldn't stay, but he said, I will pay you innkeeper to take care of this man. But my job is not finished here. I will return and I will settle debts. And anything more that you spend, consider it to be toward my account, not his doesn't say anything about who the man was. It's a Jew or Gentile. Don't even know the man's name. But the Samaritan, Samaritan could meet his need, and so he did. Read with me in verse 36. He says, Which one of these three do you think, lawyer, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said, Just go and do the same. Do you see how Jesus um, essentially changed the, the, the story, or the question, rather? He, he, the, the, the lawyer is saying, uh, who is my neighbor? In other words, where can I draw the boundary that I'm responsible for, for these people, but I'm not responsible for any of these people? That's the, that's the lawyer's question. And Jesus says, uh, who proved to be a neighbor? Not to whom am I obligated to be a neighbor, to whom can you be a neighbor? And the word neighbor literally means one who is near. That's what neighbor means in Greek, one who is near. The Samaritan was not that man's neighbor until he passed by the man and he came near. And then he proved to be a neighbor because he met the man's needs. And he literally got himself dirty and sacrificed his time and his money, possibly even his, his life by stopping. That's what it means to engage. Sending a, sending a check to missionaries who are sharing the gospel where we cannot go, we should be involved in the world in that way. But we sh- and we should know those missionaries and pray for them and write to them. We should be engaged. But we also need to be engaged right where we are. Because that's what really ultimately will move our hearts. When we're, when we're looking at people in the eye and we're seeing their needs and we're entering into their lives, okay, that's the compassion that God wants to create within us. So certainly be engaged in the world, but writing a check is not where it stops. Clicking like on Facebook on the latest cause is not what we're talking about. Or saying, yes, I'll donate a dollar when you go through the line in Kroger's and swipe your card. No, we're talking about real deep engagement in people's lives. That's what we're talking about. Practical sacrifice. Tune in and let God create a heart within you that feels compassion. And then from that compassion, step out and act. And when you act, I want you to remember one thing. Always keep the gospel foremost. Because the gospel moves people out of death into life. See, normally when we engage with someone in their needs, the needs that they present aren't first spiritual. Usually it's, it's physical or it's financial or it's relational. And when we're willing to get into the messiness of others' lives then they sense that we genuinely have compassion and concern and love them. And then those opportunities begin to open up for the spiritual. And the spiritual is what is most needed, right? Remember when our son was around two years old, he went through this phase where all that he would consume was milk. (laughs) That's it. He didn't want anything else but milk. Breakfast, milk. Lunch, what do you want? Milk. Dinner, milk, milk, milk. Snacks, milk. That's all he wanted, just milk. He had no felt need for peas and carrots and broccoli. He had no felt need for that, but his mother and I knew that he needed more than milk. And he needed something else. 
People come to us and they have certain needs that they feel, but what they most need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if someone is well-fed and well-clothed and housed, but they are separated from Jesus Christ and dead in their sins, we have not done good to them. The greatest good that they need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, opportunity for the gospel might not come first, but the gospel must be foremost. And so I feel compelled to present the gospel to you this morning because I don't know all of you individually. I don't know, maybe you just came with a friend this morning or you just showed up because a lot of cars parked and you got nothing else to do Sunday morning. I don't know. I don't know where you are spiritually, but I do know this, that your greatest need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is this. 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was God in human flesh. And he hung on a cross and died to make a payment for your sins and for my sins, for the sins of every individual that has ever lived and ever will live. He took those sins upon himself and because he was a perfect sacrifice, God accepted that payment in your place and in my place. So the moment that I believe the payment of Christ for my sins applies to my account, But then God raised him from the dead, demonstrating not only had God accepted the sacrifice, but God had conquered death through his son, Jesus Christ. And so when you believe, you have the forgiveness of your sins, but you also have life that lasts forever. You have eternal life. So even when you die, and you will, you will know that you will spend eternity resurrected and glorified with Jesus Christ, and all of those other needs that you experience right now will be met in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you need to believe. And if you walk out of here with nothing else, but you walk out of here with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are rich. And so I exhort you, I encourage you, believe. If you're already a believer in Jesus Christ, then you know what? God has called you to be like him. And what is God like? God is compassionate. God is compassionate. We can't meet all needs, but we can meet some needs. And we need to look at those who are near our neighbors and step into their lives and serve. And then we need to stop. And we need to rest. And we need to remember that God is in control and that God cares. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 4 and verse 40. Luke chapter 4 and verse 40. It says, while the sun was still setting, or while the sun was setting, all those who had any Uh, All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many shouting, you are the son of God, but rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. Now when day came, okay, so notice the sun was setting. Jesus had already been doing ministry all day long. He'd been preaching and healing and serving But then when the sun was setting, then a new wave of people showed up and he laid his hands on each one of them and he's healing all night long, okay, all night long. So in verse 42, when the day finally came, after being up all night long, then Jesus left and he went to a secluded place and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The needs, men and women, are limitless. Jesus had been up all night long. He had been been healing. 
He'd been teaching. He'd been laying hands on people, casting out demons. Finally, he steps back for a period of time, and then they rush him again, and more people. And what does, he, what does Jesus do? Does Jesus crank it up again? Okay, let's go again. No, he says, you know what? Uh, it's time for me to go. And I guarantee you there were people who were frustrated and disappointed. They probably chased him all around Galilee. He said, no, I, there are other cities that I have to go to, so I'm going. And in Jesus' three years on this earth of doing ministry, he did not heal everyone. He did not meet every need. He didn't disciple everyone. He only discipled 12. Because the needs were limitless. So he did what he could in this period of time. And then he would stop. And he would stop and he would pull his disciples aside. It says frequently, this was his pattern in life. He would stop and he would say, disciples, come with me because you need to rest. You need to sleep. You need to eat. And you need to worship. You need to remember that God is unlimited. And this is all God's responsibility. And we just participate in a small way. So stop. Rest. Toward the end of Jesus' life, right before he was going to go to the cross, he's sharing that final meal or a final meal with his uh, disciples. And a woman came in, remember, and she she took an alabaster vial of, of a pure nard, very expensive, broke it, poured out the whole thing on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair. I mean, she, it was just very unseemly. Her hair's down. She's wiping the smells everywhere. The disciples see it. They smell it. They're overwhelmed by it. And they're angry. And they say, why this waste? What a waste. You could have taken that perfume and sold it. And it, that's, that's an entire year's wages. You could have given that to the poor. And what does Jesus say? So we always have the poor with you. <laughs> Needs are limitless. You always have the poor. But you don't always have me. And what she just did, well, that's going to be remembered forever in the history of the church, of God's people. They'll remember that always. Now, you, you boys, you got it wrong. You missed the point. She stopped and she worshiped. She's preparing me for burial. Maybe she was the only person who got it, that he was about to die. So she stopped and she worshiped. And if you don't stop and worship, then what you're going to do is you're going to serve and you're going to serve and you're going to serve. You're going to end up serving out of your own strength and you're going to wear yourself out. Because the needs are limitless. And you know what? They're only going to get greater and greater and greater. Jesus tells us that the history of the world is going like this. We might have some periods where it's, oh, it's a little better here. But it's going like this. It's going to get worse. It's going to have more earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and disease and all kinds of stuff. It's going to get worse and worse until the return of Jesus. And so there are going to be more needs as time goes on. We are not going to meet all needs. But we can meet some. And we should. But then we need to stop. And we need to remember Only God is unlimited. The needs are limitless, and we, men and women, are limited. We have 24 hours a day. You have one body that God gave you as a gift, and it needs to sleep, it needs to eat, you need to care for it. Because that's the one body through which you can serve. You have financial limitations, each and every one of us. We need to give and be generous and even sacrifice. We need to acknowledge that we're finite. Jesus lived in, in our world with us, right? The, Jesus, the infinite, eternal Son of God, chose to take on limitations. He took on human flesh. He took on a body that had to sleep and had to eat. He took on a body that was only going to live a b- brief period of time on this earth. 
but he knew exactly what God had called him to. So he, he did touch certain people, but he didn't touch everybody. And he did disciple certain men. There were just 12, though. Can you imagine if you were the 13th? Ah, man. It's disappointing, probably a little bit frustrating. But Jesus lived with this, in those limitations, and so do you. So do I. So what does that mean? It means we serve, and then we stop. And in particular, we focus on those who are near to us. Remember, that's what neighbor means. A neighbor is one who is near. Notice what it says here in Deuteronomy chapter 15. I think Jesus may have had this in mind when he praised the woman and chastised his disciples. He says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. You notice that juxtaposition? This is God speaking in the law, and he says, there will never cease to be poor, the, the poor in the land. Therefore, don't worry about them. They're not going away. You can't solve that problem, so just ignore it, right? No, he says, there will always be poor in the land. Therefore, do what you can do. Your brother, your family member in need, the needy, the poor, meet the needs that you can. And then remember the Sabbath and stop and worship and be refreshed in the Lord. Serve and then stop. As we close, we're going to celebrate communion. Uh, if I can get the man, have the men go back and get prepared for communion. Communion is a great opportunity for us to stop and we remember. And what we remember is that God gave all. Hey, God w- w- set, set no boundaries, no limitations. Jesus Christ gave absolutely everything that he could give. He gave his life on our behalf. And so as we meditate before taking the elements, let's take a few moments and give God thanks that he was willing to give his son and that Jesus was willing to come. And then I want you to think about asking God to give you one person, one, one person that has needs. Ask God to place one person and one need on your mind and on your heart this week that you can meet. Okay, one person and one need. If the men would come forward. We'll take a few moments silently, meditate. When everyone's served, we'll take the elements together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this bread is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And then he took the cup as well after the supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Let's take the cup together. Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus Christ poured out his life on our behalf who held nothing back to meet our greatest need and we pray Father that that you would develop within us the same heart of compassion for those who are broken and hurting uh, for one another within our our, our believing family within the family of God for those who are uh, in our own families or, or our neighbors community around us Father pray that you would uh, break our hearts so we would be willing to love like you love and love sacrificially. And we would see, uh, see you transform us through that process and make us like you. Father, we thank you for the death of Jesus for us and we thank you for the example that it gives to us that we can be like you.
Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you are the one who came near to us. When we were enemies, when we stood against you, you came near to us, and you sacrificed, and you gave it all, that we might, as we believe in you, receive life and fullness and have our, the need of salvation met. In Jesus' name, thank you so much. Amen. Well, hey, I wanted to share with you all three opportunities today to reach out to a neighbor. Brian said so well that sometimes when you meet a physical need, it opens the opportunity for a spiritual need. And in the next couple weeks here in our community, there will be a physical need that will pervade everyone. And it will be the need for candy. Couple weeks, that's what's going to happen. And kids are going to dress up and beg mom and dad. And maybe mom and dad's going to dress up and they're going to go out and they're going to look for this, this, this sweet physical treasure that they feel like they need, right? That's what's going to happen. But little do they know what they really need is the sweet love and grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have an opportunity with the country fair to put those two together. Country Fair for us, it's kind of a carnival-like event that we put on. It'll be on Wednesday night, the 29th. That's two days before Halloween. It'll be at the Southwood campus in the Southwood campus parking lot from 6 to 8 p.m. On that Wednesday night, we have shut down Bible studies for that night and youth group meetings so that we can all as a church come together and meet our community, meet our neighbor in this way. We're going to be handing out tons of candy so you got any friends and non-Christians, any unbelievers out there you want to invite, feel free to invite them. Feel free to invite believing families. We, we want to serve our community in that way. But it's an opportunity for us, and there's a lot of things the Country Fair does. One is for all of us to serve together, but a big one is it gives us a chance to reach our community. It gives us a chance to build a connection, to um, begin a conversation, to develop a relationship. And maybe there'll be some seeds planted there. Maybe there'll be some conversations. Maybe we can share the gospel with a few and see, or many. Why just, why a few? Many. And see God work through that. So I want to invite any of you, all of you to join us, join me in that. Uh, We need about 250 volunteers to pull it off. That night we have, it's from 6 to 8 p.m. and we have two shifts, the first hour shift and the second hour shift, about an hour and 15 minutes. We'd love for you to join us and sign up. You can either go to our website and look under events, country fair, and there's several, you can sign up. Some of you have groups that you're a part of at Grace and you can be a, sign up with your group or you can just sign up as an individual. We also have sheets right out here in the foyer. If you go that direction to the ministry desk, you can sign up right there. Love to have you help us in that and join us in reaching our community and building that connection. Second opportunity, how many of y'all have ever heard of Youth Impact? Okay, a few. That's a ministry here that we have at Grace Bible Church. It's probably one of the best we have at reaching out into our community. We have lots of college students involved, and what they do is they reach out to the marginalized youth and children of our community, okay? And they do so through mentoring relationships. And I'm not asking all of you to join in that ministry, but here's a way you can help support them. They are doing what's called the Rebel Run, and that's happening not that's happening next weekend on Saturday, October 25th, I believe. October 25th. And what it is, it's a it's an obstacle course 5K. And then you sign up and you take this challenge on. Any proceeds, any money that comes through will help support that ministry 
to reach out to the neighbors of our community in that way. So love to have you join in that. And again, you can go online and look under events and sign up there. You got to sign up by this Friday. Last but not least, got a couple other opportunities, but I want to say this. Remember this guy, this Samaritan was walking down the road when he met this man. He was on his travels. You know, the Great Commission says go. And when we go, those who are far become the ones who are near when we go. And they become our neighbors. And so we believe in missions so strongly at this church and and sending people. And I want to give you a couple opportunities. If you are a college student in this room, we have a college missions lunch across the street in about 15 minutes, 1230, across the street, free pizza. That should be enough to get you over there, but free pizza. And that way they can tell you and share with you if you're interested in a six-week mission trip this summer, either to East Asia, Greece, or India, we'd love for you to join us. So want to welcome you to those two opportunities. And I want to remind you of Brian's challenge to find and think of someone this week that you can meet a need for. And be the neighbor that Christ talked about. Thank you so much. Enjoy your afternoon. May it be blessed.